In this episode of Mike Drop Dallas, we get a Dallas Stars season preview from none other than ace defenseman Miro Heiskanen. Then we hear from Friends of Fair Park CEO Brian Llewellyn about an ambitious renovation project for Fair Park and the Cotton Bowl. And finally, we're joined by media and technology expert William Mao of Octagon, who predicts the future of sports media for us. We got another good one for you. So let's drop the mic and let's go. Welcome to Mike Drop Dallas, everybody. Kevin Sullivan here, joined as always by Monica Paul, the executive director of the Dallas Sports Commission, this time from the American Airlines Center, where Monica is gearing up for a very important meeting about the 2023 Women's Final Four, which, of course, is returning uh, to Dallas. Also with us, of course, is Next Level Marcus Carr. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody, and for following. If you like the Mic Drop uh, Please uh, give us a five-star review. That would be very helpful. Monica, we're continuing season two here with the hot hand. Last week, Michael Johnson. This week, Dallas Stars standout Jason Robertson. We're off to a uh, a roaring start here in uh, in season two. So what are you up to at the Sports Commission? Well, it's been a busy week this week. We've got the NCAA women's staff in town, so... Uh, gearing up for our monthly meetings, really, uh, for our Women's Final Four in April 2023. So that's been exciting. A lot of a lot of movement, a lot of uh, kind of decision making happening this month. Uh, should really be able to jumpstart some things for October. You'll st- start to see some community events that we'll be announcing um, as we just continue our planning process. And doubly important for us in that we are also in a bid process for uh, women's final four for 2028 to 2031, not only on the women's side, but, uh, on the men's side as well. So we're kind of working in tandem, uh, as we're planning this one, uh, working on our bid, bid pitches and, and presentations that we have to do later in October and in November to those, uh, respective uh, basketball committees. So a lot going on there. We had a great meeting uh, in terms of World Cup preparation and kind of next steps for what our host committee looks like. So we'll start to put that in motion here over the next two to three weeks. So uh, a lot of good stuff, uh, good stuff happening. And, you know, it is football season, Sully. So uh, a lot of football coming up and uh, State Fair of Texas opening here at September 30th out at uh, Fair Park. So um um, I'm quite excited because our offices are out at Fair Park, so uh, we'll be uh, stepping outside to enjoy some of those uh, Fletcher's Corny Dogs and uh, some of those other prized uh, fried foods. We're going to be discussing all of that with Brian Llewellyn here shortly. Uh, and by the way, I'll be out there uh, I'll, I'm probably multiple times this year to the State Fair, but for sure on October 9th to see Lucinda Williams at the Chevrolet main stage. I'm fired up about that. Uh, the uh, you also had the opportunity last night to attend the gala of our good friend and friend of uh, Mike Drop Dallas, Nancy Lieberman. Tell us about that. Oh yeah, Nancy does it well every year. Uh, it's kind of shifted the dates this year. Normally, is in February, uh, but her Nancy uh, Lieberman Dream Ball Gala was last night at the factory in Deep Ellum. Fantastic showing. Um, she it was really to celebrate Title IX, gender equity. Um, Fantastic representation there. You know, for those of you who don't know Nancy and uh, what she does for the communities where she really gives back and puts up courts and underserved areas. So 
everything through her charities, you know, that's kind of the funnel and, and the way that makes that happen. So Dallas really turned out last night and uh, a, a lot of positive results there. But everyone from Julia Fowdy to uh, Martina Natravilova to uh, Jackie Joyner Kersey had, had a fantastic panel there and uh, other celebrities and uh, representation from all of our professional teams there in support of Nancy's uh, charities and her endeavors. So great night last night. Another friend of uh, Mike Drop Dallas, of course, is Troy Aikman. He had a major Mike Drop moment when The Rock uh, took to Instagram and his 337 million followers to promote Troy's eight beer, which is kind of a healthy beer. We know Troy is a health and fitness uh, devotee. Uh, and according to the morning news, Troy said it was unexpected. So that is a huge deal when you get The Rock. When you have friends like The Rock, uh, touting you on instagram you don't need much else so maybe we think about that for world cup monica back in a moment with miro heiskanen of the dallas stars and now we're pleased to be joined by dallas stars standout defenseman miro heiskanen third round overall pick in the 2017 nhl entry draft out of finland last august the nhl network ranked him among the top 10 defensemen in the nhl back in 2020 during the stars run to the stanley cup final heiskanen racked up 26 points in 27 games. This is a standout two-way player, only 23, signed an eight-year contract last year. And our own Marcus Carr on special mic drop assignment in Cedar Park, Texas at Stars Training Camp, had the chance to talk to Miro Heiskanen. Let's go to that interview. Thanks, Sully. We're here from Stars Training Camp. As, as camp kicks off, a lot of new faces is there any kind of new energy um, now that you're back on the ice? Oh uh, yeah, of course. There's new new energy when you when you get back to training camp and uh, you start start everything again. But yeah, it's uh, a lot of new faces. Uh, it's nice to see other uh, other guys, younger guys, to come in and how how they uh, they do. And yeah, it's it's been nice nice few days right now. And really really looking forward to next season. Speaking of new faces, you have a new coach. What is your early thoughts of, you know, schemes, plays, um, kind of getting the groove of things? What, what are your early impressions? Oh, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I, I like a lot. Yeah, it's uh, uh, been a good couple practice right now with, with the new coaches. And, yeah, I like, like the, that style we want to play. And, yeah, it's, it's been good so far. You signed an eight-year contract last, uh, last year. What, what did the city of Dallas, like how big of a factor did the city of Dallas play into that? And what did you see um, from the Stars organization that made you want to stay long term? No, oh, yeah, of course, it's uh, it's a great city. I, I love that city. And of course, the fans and organization organization been been great for me. And yeah, it's uh, uh, that's why I want to stay, stay long term. It's a great place to live and have a great team. So, yeah, that's that's why I wanted to stay long term. Speaking of Dallas, what are some of the things you like to do in Dallas? Restaurants, places to visit, you know, what, what is unique uh, about Dallas? Oh, yeah, there's a lot of good restaurants, of course, and I like the weather weather a lot. I like the Dallas heat, so, yeah, it's, it's been nice. And, of course, Fort Worth, it's, it's pretty nice to go there, stockyards and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's been, been really cool. When you look at the makeup of this team, um, all the battle tested y'all y'all been through, um, what are you looking forward to um, this season, and what do you think y'all can improve on? Um, yeah, of course, uh, like you said, there's been a lot of, of battles, and uh, of course, things we want to do again. We went to finals and lost this, so yeah, there's. Uh, but I, I think we have a great team, and 
all the new coaches, uh, new system. So I think we can can go all the way, and that's our goal to win the win the Stanley Cup. What are some personal goals uh, on the ice you're you're looking to improve on? Um, what what can we expect from you from this season? Uh, yeah, I think uh, <clears throat> personal goals are I, I want to be better offensively and create more more offense. So yeah, I think I played well well defensively last last year, but yeah, offense is the the thing I want to improve most. One of the pulses that came out of last season was Ottinger's play uh, in the net. What have you seen from him? Has his focus changed as as you start off this start off this new camp? Um, yeah, I think he's always really focused, and when he gets the ice, and yeah, he's uh, of course he was great, great for us last year, and I think he he looks even better this year. So yeah, he's gonna be wanna be a huge part again for our team, and yeah, really really looking forward to. You have a lot of experience at just twenty three. Um, where do you see yourself, you know, at the end of this uh, season and um, beyond that? No, yeah, uh, of course I want to be better than I was last year, and that's that's my goal every every year. And <clears throat> yeah, I want to be the one of the one of the best best this year defenseman and the best at some point. So yeah, I I really really try to work hard and be there at at one day. You kick off the season in, in just under three weeks. What is what factor does American Airlines fans play uh, to y'all's home home advantage? Um, how big of a factor are those fans uh, for you guys on a night to night basis? Yeah, it's huge. Uh, I love our fans and everyone does. So yeah, it's uh, it's great to always play at home and really really looking forward to play in front of them. Well, we appreciate your time today. Thanks so much. Uh, we're looking forward to a great season from you. A great season from the Stars. Uh, back to you, Sully. Thanks, Marcus. What did you most glean about the stars under new coach Pete DeBoer by spending the day at training camp recently? Yeah, Sully, I I think the stars are going to be an interesting team this year. They are usually one of those teams that flies on the radar for most of the season. And I think this year will be a little bit different. I think they're going to come out pretty strong. Um, They want to keep the puck uh, for long possessions rather than pushing the puck so quickly. Um, Spreading the ice, obviously, is going to be a huge part. And, and, you know, Sagan... Ben and uh, Heiskanen are all going to be essential to uh, the stars this season. So as long as, as long as helps on their side, I, I think they're going to be really good. You know, here on Mike drop Dallas, we hear athletes say all the time, how much Dallas means to them, how much they love playing here. I thought it was interesting that Heiskanen specifically referenced uh, the, the fans and the crowd at the AAC. You actually attended your first stars game last year. So you're, you're new to the bandwagon. Uh, but how did that make you feel when you heard yet another player talk about why they love uh, playing in Dallas so much? Well, there is no environment like AAC, I would say. Like I, I have been to a lot of stadiums in general, maybe not NHL stadiums, but I've been to every MLB stadium. Um, but there is really no quite environment like a star's environment. Um, everybody seems so in tune together. And that seems to translate to a lot of the players that that we've had. Holtby uh, notably said the same thing about um, the AAC last year, whenever we had him on and, and it's good to see a, another stars player, you know, vouching for AAC. Yeah. He also, you know, the point about, about Dallas, he mentioned that he likes the heat. Now this is a player from Finland. We've had a lot of players come on and say what they like about, about Dallas, great place to raise a family, a lot of golf courses, you know, great shopping, you know, all the attributes, but he specifically called out the heat, which I don't think a guest has since Pudge Rodriguez told us that he liked playing in the heat uh, during his Hall of Fame career with the Rangers. So I don't know what the temperature is in Finland right now, but it's probably uh, a little cooler than it is here. 
I, I would definitely say so, but you know, he, he's as, as cold as ice. So I guess he's, uh, you know, I guess it, it, it balances out for him. Now, in addition to the stars getting underway, of course, uh, this week, the Mavericks open training camp. And similarly, you know, just like we saw Heiskanen talk about winning this year and how, how optimistic he is for the stars prospects under new coach, Pete DeBoer, uh, Luca came out, uh, this week at media day and said he expects to win a championship. That's got to get everybody fired up. Yeah, I mean, it's good when you have two 20, 23 year olds, uh, you know, have the keys to the city pretty much. And, and they're both vouching for for a championship year. And it looks, looks like both teams could, could do it. And what what a spectacle that would be for the stars at, and Mavs to do that this season. I thought it was also uh, encouraging to see Tim Hardaway say he is more healthier than ever that he used the off season to uh to really get get squared away after his broken foot last year he's ready to go spencer dinwiddie who was playing with some nagging injuries he's ready to go and you couldn't help but notice that you know maxi kleba is jacked so he skipped Eurobasket to focus on his body and getting ready for the season i was glad to see that so just all the way around a lot of good news coming out of that first couple of days of uh, maps training camp yeah, and I'm particularly very excited to see how the addition of Christian Wood and JaVale McGee uh, pan out. And so I think it's going to be really good for for the Mavs this season. And and I'm really excited. Luca has said to many Dallas media members that they don't need an extra piece, that this is a team that can win a championship. And he, he truly believes that. Well, no, no question. Lots happening, of course. It is football season. The Cowboys have won two in a row. Everybody is getting excited. And we'll be back in a moment to talk about the Cotton Bowl, the the, uh, very ambitious renovation plans for Fair Park and the Cotton Bowl. Join us for the ultimate running weekend at the 2022 BMW Dallas Marathon Festival, December 9th through the 11th. Register your corporate group or team today. Two-person half marathon relay, five-person marathon relay, and 5K team challenge options available. Perfect for team building. Bring your company out and enjoy all the energy and excitement surrounding the BMW Dallas Marathon Festival this December. Contact groups at rundallas.com for more info. Pleased to be joined now by Brian Llewellyn, the CEO of Fair Park First. He's got more than 20 years of experience in destination tourism and informing public-private partnerships to drive that, that tourism. Brian, thanks for joining us here on Mike Drop Dallas. It's great to be with you this morning. Well, Brian, Brian's a good friend of mine, Sully, so I see him pretty on a regular basis. We uh, exist in the same space out at Fair Park in terms of offices. So uh, very, I'm very excited to hear and see what's going on at Fair Park and the possibilities of what the future may hold. So, um, Brian, thank you for joining us here today. Uh, Brian, probably a lot of people may not know that Fair Park uh, first even exists. You know, I, I get the same thing from a Dallas Sports Commission standpoint They they don't know who we are. So tell our listeners, uh, what exactly is uh, Fair Park First and what is your mission? It's pretty simple. <clears throat> We're the nonprofit organization that the city engaged back in January of 2019 to basically serve as the nonprofit umbrella organization of the entire park. Uh, for many years, this park has been heavily siloed. There really hasn't been a long-term plan. Uh, there have been a lot of ideas, but very little execution behind that. We're on team Get Stuff Done. So what we do is uh, set that future goal and then help support all of the organizations in moving forward with it. Um, Perhaps most know to some of your listeners would be the fact that we've helped align a pretty amazing opportunity to expand the uh, K. Bailey Hutchinson Convention Center and also 
create the single largest investment ever in Fair Park, assuming voters support it on November 8th. So that's the kind of thing we do to help improve this site that means you know, so much to so many people. It often gets talked about as a crown jewel, but it certainly hasn't been polished the way you'd expect a crown jewel to be. And it's time to kind of make that investment uh, real for people so that this this lasts for a lot longer. So, uh, Brian, you kind of mentioned uh, the Brimer Bill and the possibilities for Fair Park. Obviously, Brimer Bill would support a major renovation to Fair Park and the buildings out there goes to public vote in November. Um, we've had uh, Brian Truby on, a friend of the pod, um, to talk about well, a lot of his projects throughout the Metroplex and throughout the world, but I know he's uh, very integrated into the plans and the designs for what Fair Park uh, could look like um, with, you know, this Brimer bill and the funding that's attached to that. What can our listeners possibly expect or need to know in terms of what exactly could that mean, the dollar amounts and and the renovations out there at Fair Park? Um, well, one, the proposition itself could deliver uh an estimated $300 million in investment. That's not only the single largest investment since 1936. It unlocks the door for other things we can use to improve the site and probably has a value of about a half a billion dollars for various venues around the site. And we brought on Truby and his team over at Overland Partners because he's a visionary, right? Perhaps the greatest stadium and facility designer in the world. You could rattle off a list of the best facilities, not only in the Metroplex, but also the world. And he's touched the majority. And that's pretty amazing. Uh, we just unveiled some incredible renderings of new improved spaces in the Cotton Bowl, the Coliseum, and also some of the arts and culture venues, uh, like the exhibition halls that we anticipate perhaps being a part of the bid for World Cup in 26. Uh, we're certainly very hopeful about that. And then beyond that, um, this ignites Fair Park. It gives us the ability to host more events. And so... When we talk about a thriving fair park, really, Brian is the visionary for how we get these facilities to the point where uh, we can finally meet the demands of a 21st century program in terms of sporting events and a fan experience. Well, definitely, I, it gets me excited to see the possibilities out for, for the Coliseum, the Automobile, Centennial Building, um, the Cotton Bowl Stadium in itself, the ability to bring right. additional events, sporting events, and is you know my purview. But I think definitely other festivals and and things out there. Uh, even prior to this Brimer Bill, Brian, uh, y'all have kind of unveiled a community master plan. So, and I think some of that's due to start here relatively soon, maybe at the beginning of the new year or sometime in in twenty twenty three. What what uh, what's that timeline looking like? Well, we knock on wood every time we say it, but, yep. uh, you know, there hasn't been anything of great significance built in Fair Park since the IMAX screen for the Science Place uh, back 34 years ago. And we're on track to break ground on a community park complex that's really been promised to our neighbors for about 45 years. Uh, but up until about a year and a half ago, when our new master plan was approved by the city, nobody could tell you with any authority where it was going to go, how big it was going to be. And this is an incredible community green space um, that's over 18 acres in size. It's going to also include a new parking facility. So, yes, it gets better coming and going. We know that the experience in the Cotton Bowl is fantastic. Getting here and leaving sometimes is a little tough due to infrastructure. So we're addressing that, too. And uh, right now we're slated to break ground early in the new year. Uh, that's, of course, uh, 
supported by permits from the city of Dallas. If you paid attention to headlines, you may know those move a little slow sometimes. Uh, so the anticipation is as soon as possible in 23, we'll be breaking ground on that project. And we're on track to deliver it right now in uh, 24. So I, I think it's going to be exceptional to really improve the visitor experience, not only for our sporting guests and for the people that come here for arts and culture events and concerts, but to really meaningfully improve it for people that are really lucky to align some opportunities like expanding the Santa Fe Trail, which is the second most used biking and walking trail in the entire city. That's going to wrap Fair Park, soften our edges, and it's going to mean that we're also a recreation and athletic space. So all of that is really part and parcel of making this campus a little bit more like some of the other world's fair sites around the country that perhaps thrived a little bit better than Fair Park. You know, people might think about Balboa Park in San Diego, certainly a good example, maybe Grant Park in Chicago, Forest Park in St. Louis. We're just missing some things that those parks have. And it's really what I kind of think of as the hospitality experience, those those day to day moments of respite to separate you from what are, are pretty obviously just oceans of concrete here on Fair Park. And we've got to move the needle on that a little bit, make it a little more inviting, knit it together in a better way with not only the community, but the city. And uh, it's really exciting after three years of work to see this finally coming together. Uh, a lot of planning, a lot of effort, and a lot of incredible volunteer hours go into help making a vision like this real. And we're super excited to host more events with you, Monica, and your group, uh, as well as you know the many other events we see throughout the year. Right, and you're, you're talking about guest experience. What, what would it mean in some of the other facilities at Fair Park, the Coliseum, for example, where you know, sports fans have probably been for events or concerts, the automobile building. Well, how would the the this the long term vision here affect the other uh, buildings, uh, you know, that are on the Fair Park campus? Really appreciate the question because it's important. Um, when the city finally approved election for November 8th, the mayor talked about a back to school event where he distributed in part with a lot of nonprofits and other city organizations. Uh, much needed uh, back to school supplies for needy families. And it's a great event. But he talked about how the restrooms just, they haven't been upgraded in a really long time. They don't reflect well on Dallas. And I personally think Dallas deserves better for everything we do. But the same venues, that was the automobile building that hosts that and the car show for the State Fair of Texas. It, it's really probably our most active space on a year round basis outside of the music hall. It's just falling apart. And there is significant, irreplaceable are these incredible giant bas-relief carvings by Bordell that I'm not exaggerating when I say they will literally just fall off the wall one day without a serious intervention. And through the work of Truby's team, we're going to be able to totally stabilize that, upgrade the facilities, and really create a modern show space inside this classic Art Deco facade. And that's really incredible because it respects the past and prepares us for the future. Uh, it, in places like the Music Hall, you know, that's a great venue. We see hundreds of thousands of visitors there throughout their incredible Broadway shows, concerts, and other events. Their flying rigging system that allows them to host these very large Broadway shows falling to pieces. The restrooms haven't been upgraded. This is really a facility that's a lot like our convention center and that for decades it's been really maintained by a duct tape and band-aid strategy that isn't working. It's time for a pretty comprehensive redo in order to get this to the next level. Of course, Fair Park also means football with the Cotton Bowl. We have two games uh, coming up with the uh, uh, Cotton, the Fair Park Classic and the Red River Showdown. 
what would all of this mean for football fans attending games at the Cotton Bowl? Uh, well, first and foremost, I can tell you that uh, the athletic directors at both Texas and Oklahoma University very strongly desired a new master plan for the Cotton Bowl that really addressed the visitor experience. They weren't looking for things that that might perhaps generate more revenue, although that's always important to facilities like this, their experience just a little bit more. And so for them, uh, Truby's imagined some pretty incredible improvements, including widening the historic concourses. That's really important because it's a tight facility. Um, that's good in a way because you're very, very close to the field. Our upper bowl is about as close as the club level uh, out at AT&T as an example. And so it's intimate, right? But the problem with that is our expectations have changed a lot since this facility was built. It's almost tripled in capacity without tripling restrooms, uh, concessions. So the lines are really long. We know that. Uh, we know that during Texas OU, uh, it's quite likely that uh, it's easier to leave the stadium, go get a corny dog through that long line at Fletcher's and come back in than it is to be served inside the stadium. And that's because we just haven't been able to upgrade that uh, facility. Now we're going to envision three new club spaces that afford a premium experience that we've never had. Uh, there's even an incredible design for a phase two that would create an all new bunker club uh, in the lower bowl underneath the seats that would allow for better ingress and egress during all of the events and a real premium experience with real honest to God restrooms on the field level. I know the teams will appreciate that as well as uh, much as our people will. This is really an incredible opportunity. And, and Truby talks about how with the right investment, if our voters support this, this is going to be an opportunity where the Cotton Bowl can compete with the experience of any facility built in the last 20 years. That's what you get when you bring, let's let's be honest, a rock star like Brian Truby on to work on a project. Uh, he briefed our board on it last night. They were glowing about the vision. Uh, we shared that with the Dallas Park and Rec Board. Uh, it's really down to the voters. You know, if folks turn up and say, Fair Park, then I think we're going to see that come together in a pretty profound way. Brian, I think I could go on and on and have lots of other questions. We could talk International Broadcast Center and, you know, what that mm -hmm. would mean for, for Fair Park and the city of Dallas for the World Cup in 2026. But uh, really, at the end of the day, our, our big push here uh, over the next month or into November is we need these city of Dallas uh, residents to vote yes for Prop A. Am I correct? 100%. You know, th this isn't one of those referendums that you sometimes see where, you know, yes means no and no means yes. This is a straight ahead referendum. Voting yes means that we're going to be able to make the single largest investment in Fair Park as a tourist tax. So the folks that come in from out of town that enjoy these events, they're the ones paying for this. And that's the same experience we all have when we go uh, to other cities and we check out of a hotel and it's got 27 taxes down at the bottom. This is just going to be one of those. And what's amazing is Dallas hasn't taken advantage of this opportunity in the same way that a lot of our sister cities have around the Metroplex. And so we do see more events going to those sister cities. And I know you support those efforts, Monica, and I respect it. But, you know, as a Dallas icon and an anchor for our tourism industry, I'd like to see us get back to a competitive state, not only here, but at our convention center as well. Well, I totally agree with you, Brian. And uh, I really thank you for joining us today. Uh, we will obviously be supporting uh um, this Brimer bill and the possibilities, not only at Fair Park, but for the Kay Bailey um Hutchinson Convention Center and what that could do to transform uh, downtown Dallas and that central business district. So 
Thank you uh, for joining us today, Brian. And we will be right back with William Mao of Octagon. Love lacrosse? Need a part-time gig? IWLCA is looking for workers to help out at the IWLCA President's Cup and IWLCA debut, November 18th through the 20th. Open positions include setup slash breakdown, field marshalling, Gatorade, and hospitality. Spend your weekend with us in Dallas. Contact Rena Weiss at rweiss at elitetournaments.com to learn more. Again, that's Rena Weiss at rweiss at elitetournaments.com. And now we are pleased to be joined by William Mao of Octagon. He has been for the past five years the VP of Octagon's Media Rights Consulting Division. This means he advises sports media rights holders, broadcasters, and tech companies about what's happening in the sports media space. Among other things, William previously managed sports content at Yahoo. He is an expert on the intersection of sports and digital media. Joining us from New York, he is a member of the Forbes 30 Under 30 and Sportico's Best People in Sports to Follow. You can do that at the William Mao. William, welcome to Mike Drop Dallas. Thanks for making some time for us. Thanks, Kevin, and, and thanks, Monica, for having me. So we're in the throes here for a long time now and with the Bally Sports, you know, the RSN conundrum where the games are not generally available uh, via streaming. So that means Rangers and Stars fans have had a tough time seeing seeing their favorite teams. The very first edition of, of uh, Mike Drop Dallas in February of 2021, 72 or three episodes ago, we asked Brad Alberts, the Stars president, What's going to happen with this? We've talked to John Heidke and RSN, you know, longtime stalwart here. And everybody wrings their hands and they're worried and they're, they understand the frustration of the fans. But there doesn't seem to be a solution. So, William, you're, uh, you're the expert here. What do you, how do you think this ends? And when will, when will, I know there's contracts that go out of ways, but what's going to happen here? Yeah, it's a, you know, it's it's a very interesting time in that particular space because if you think about how the sort of RSN or local market TV deals were kind of conceived in 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 the in their inception, it was all around this like geographical definition of a local market whether it's 75 miles from the stadium or otherwise that was really predicated on sort of traditional linear television distribution right cable cable boxes and otherwise and now you're in this world where sort of physical geography kind of doesn't hold the same anchor or walls around where your content can go and people are on the move you're not constantly uh at home and just tied to where your cable box is and so all of those dynamics are are at play here with that rsn question that you asked and it's also just part of the problem of the fact that the distribution of that Bally's sports uh, channel, at least here in, in, the, in the, the, the Dallas-Fort Worth market, continues to decline, right? If you think about it from, let's say, five years ago, around 2017, to compare to where it is now, around half of the carriage, half of the ability to get distribution um, and, and to get people the, even the access to watch the channel has decreased, and, and that's projected to continue to drop over the next couple of years by, you know, 20, 25%. Um, and so I think there's just all these dynamics that are kind of providing and, and pushing pressure down on that ecosystem. But at the same time, you have to remember a couple of, I guess, interesting and unique pieces of how this particular part of the sports landscape works. First of all, 
it's kind of a repeated game between the same two parties, right? There aren't multiple RSNs in the Dallas market for, you know, the Mavs or the Stars or the Rangers to negotiate with. You know, it used to be called Fox Sports. Now it's called Bally Sports, but it's really the same infrastructure, the same entity that you're negotiating with again and again. And then the other piece is it really helps drive the economics of these franchises for an MLB, NBA, or, or NHL team particularly on the MLB side, there are cases where it represents close to 50% of the, the money that comes in to help operate the team. And so it's a situation where you're, you're really, you're, you're in, interested and invested in each other's success. Otherwise kind of the whole, the whole system starts to fall apart. Um, and I think those are kind of a lot of the, the elements. I know I, I rattled through a lot of the different pieces of the puzzle, but it's really how those all interplay with one, one another. And it varies in different markets. You know, I would say in Dallas, um, based on projections by by parties like uh, SMP and SNL Kagan, the Southwest Regional Sports Network, despite all the decrease in subscribers and carriage, is still operating at a positive cash flow margin. Whereas in other parts of Sinclair's 21 RSNs, those RSNs, at least on an individual basis, are operating in the red already. We saw Apple TV Plus come into baseball with a Friday night package. Of course, Amazon huge splash with an 11 year deal with the NFL. Uh, what's next for, the, you know, Facebook, Google, YouTube, YouTube, the, you know, Peacock has a pretty successful exclusive window with, with major league baseball on Saturday morning. Uh, will Amazon keep going? Will Apple TV plus keep going in sports rights? What do you think happens there with the tech companies and the, and the, you know, the exclusive streamers? Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm a little biased and you mentioned, you, you, I think you noted I, I worked at Yahoo, I actually worked at YouTube uh, about 10 years ago uh, in, in their sports partnership group. And, um, you know, even back then we, we were trying to test and learn uh, with opportunistic partnerships with, with leagues because sports rights are, are really expensive, particularly relative to general entertainment, music and other genres of content that broadcast networks, video platforms uh work in more more often than they do in sports. Um, a key difference between the Facebooks, the YouTubes, and, and the Twitters of the world compared to an Apple or Amazon or even a, a Peacock is those are subscription platforms, right? You, you pay a monthly fee uh, for the access to the content versus it being driven by watching ads or skipping ads or not skipping ads, as it were. And I think that's a big difference in how the models work because you're trying to use sports as a mechanism for uh, acquiring new customers uh, and and then hoping that the rest of the portfolio keeps them there and continues to watch uh, the rest of the content. And so I think if there is success with what Amazon continues to do with the NFL, Thursday Night Football, if this MLS investment with Apple and the MLB investment with Apple, if, if those perform well and they have a proven ability to uh, acquire more customers for those services, then they will continue to uh, invest in the sports space. But I think the thing that's always in the back of my head, having worked at one of these companies, is there's oh, there's a lot more things that these tech companies can do with that money that can still generate value for them versus a traditional TV network or a sports network like an ESPN or sports rights and the ability to have those games on your network is like your water or your oxygen. You need it to survive. We talk a lot here on Mike Drop Dallas about the 2026 World Cup uh, coming to our area, thanks to Monica and her team and the, the leaders in the region. So Fox and Telemundo, their deal goes through 2026. So we know that that will be the 
the the the broadcaster for the World Cup when it comes here in 2026. Obviously, there's global exposure. What is what will that mean for our area? Yeah, I think the opportunity is less so in, in let's say in my world in terms of like incremental media rights driven dollars for the local market, but it is going to be all the other pieces, the kind of physical in, in the city around the city <laughs> opportunities around um tourism and what that means for all the small businesses in the market the ability you're running events and so there's going to be the need for just additional foot force to help with uh, wayfinding and running all the things that go around those world cup games that do end up being played you know i think at at at&t stadium if if i'm not mistaken as, as being one of those primary venues and i think what's beneficial here also is traditionally there's a there's like certain requirements right that fifa will have of the host nations and the host cities about the quality and the standards of your facilities particularly what what the stadium is and how how uh, the quality of the pitch and otherwise you have no worries with that right with your facilities in the in the Dallas Fort Worth market and so you don't have to really invest incrementally to get those up to a certain standard you can just really reap the economic benefits that will come to your city and I, I heard the the back end of, of the last interview last conversation it, it's not just like the small businesses but it's also like if you're able to get some of that tourism tax and and things for for the city in general that's what's really going to be the value of having one one or more of those games in Dallas. Well, now, William, you're getting me a little bit excited here. So I'm, I'm hoping like, you know, six to seven matches, but uh, you're spot on in terms of, of World Cup. Um, you know, kind of a two-part question here. We all know what happened during COVID. We're all at home, but sports viewerships, I think, went down. Uh, viewership number seems to be up for college football and the NFL, some other sports too. Uh, in your opinion, are we past COVID? Are we back to normal? Um, I think we're we're getting there, right? And, and and during the COVID period, there were it was a lot of things came came to the forefront. One, you know, maybe it was the rabid sports fans still cared about sports and were tuning into whatever was on. It could have been Korean baseball coming in, piping through from Korea in the middle of the day. People were watching it, particularly when there was nothing happening. And we did see a bump and a rise in viewership when our sports started to come back. But what was happening is you had this compressed calendar, right? You had all these different leagues trying to finish out their seasons or play their seasons in formats that maybe weren't as familiar to the, the casual fans, so like bubbles. Uh, watching a, a game where there's kind of nobody in the stands is kind of a very odd experience as well. And so just the content itself was very different. Um, and so you didn't see this. You couldn't visually see that sports was this unifying force for a community and, and you had the ability to even go to a bar and watch it with other people, right? That communal aspect of it was lost. And so all of those kind of were impacting the the consumption during the COVID period. But as, as we're starting to see now with like the NFL numbers, the stuff at the top of our sports pyramid in the United States, NFL, college football, uh, and, and presumably when, when the NBA, NHL uh, kick back and MLB gets into its postseason, you're going to start to see those numbers go back up. So college football playoffs based here in DFW area, we're obviously following the expansion um, issues closely uh, with ESPN uh, need to find another partner. What, ha what happens there? Well, there's been a lot of conjecture about the, what the economic impact, the value, the incremental will be. And, and uh, some people have put out numbers like close to 2 billion in terms of it, its annual value. I'm, I'm maybe a little bit more conservative in that front. And, and my reference point is more so thinking about, 
the value of like, if you recall recently, the NFL expanded its playoff and had an additional wildcard games. And the broadcasters paid about $75 million per additional game per season, right? And so if you think of that as a high watermark for some of these ex- expanded CFP games, there are eight of them. Maybe that's a, that's a, you know, half a billion dollars incremental. So you could see the value of the current deal, which is around 470 million per year uh, over the course of, of its term on average, doubling in value. I don't know if it'll really get to that 2 billion piece, but to your, your, the, the point you made about, will there be another partner that needs to come in in addition to ESPN? I think if it's ESPN, they're going to try to hold on to as much of it as possible. And they have a unique ability maybe to even really deliver that given they have so many channels, ESPN, ESPN2, et cetera. But I think other people will want to see it at the table of Fox or even some of these tech companies. And so the the real way that maybe the economic value gets really uh, up into that stratosphere of, of multiple billions of dollars is if, candidly, if someone kind of overpays a little for that seat at the table. Speaking of college football, William, when you know, we saw the Big Ten do a billion-dollar deal, smashing all records after alluring USC and UCLA to the to the Big Ten. Of course, we're faced with Big 12, the conference disruption uh, here in Dallas. With all of the disruption among the conferences and in college football, how does this how do you imagine this ends up? Do we end up with, you know, two massive conferences and everybody else is is left behind from a media standpoint? How is this going to shake out, do you think? Yeah, I think it still remains to be to be seen. I think everyone has been really focused on the latest round of realignment, which realignment in and of itself is not a novel thing. It happens every decade or so based on and pegged to when TV deals uh, come to term. But the one the reason everyone's kind of a, a little bit more heightened with the latest move is because historically it's been geographically defined in many ways. You you weren't you would never have conceived that a school in California too would just decide to start playing schools that are primarily in the Midwest out into the East Coast, right? Um, and so I think this one just feels a little different, even more different perhaps than OU and Texas uh, moving to the SEC, because at least geographically that still has some connectivity there. I think college college sports, people always ask, you know, what are the big sports in, in the United States? And college athletics is this unique piece relative to the rest of the world. And it really is that that next piece of the puzzle below the NFL. Um, if you think about it from the top 100 most broadcasted, you know, uh, most watched uh, events every year, you know, nine, 70 to 90 of them are, are NFL. And the only other really sports related things that make that top 100 uh, are the top end of college athletics, March Madness on the men's basketball side and and the CFP games, right? And so if you think about that just being the groundswell, that's the tide raising all the boats, I think, uh, whether it's a power five becomes a power four, power three, or w- whatever the market decides to describe it as, college athletics itself is a rising tide. William, this is fascinating stuff. The uh, Before we let you go, though, I'd like to ask if you could give our listeners and watchers on YouTube a, uh, a recommendation for something that you may be streaming or downloading these days. Could be movie, TV, music, podcast, book. Uh, what are you What are you consuming these days? Sure. Um, I think uh, picking out one mainstream example, I think uh, whether you're a Lord of the Rings fan or a Game of Thrones fan, you're in one of those camps. Uh, my wife and I uh, watch watch the new um, you know, Lord of the Rings prequel uh, pretty religiously. Uh, I'm keeping an eye out in October when uh, 38 at the Garden, which is the Jeremy Lin 
documentary that got picked up by HBO off of out of Tribeca is going to be released on HBO Max on October 11th. So I will definitely be be tuning in to that. Uh, and then, you know, from a, from a well, book perspective, uh, recently, I, you know, I, I've, I've been working my way through some of Bill Gates' recent books um, around, you know, he poses questions about like how to avoid pandemics and uh, economic crises, water, uh, water crises, environmental crises. Otherwise, he has kind of a series of those. I've been working my way through that. You know, speaking of books, I, I just finished uh, the Dick Ebersol's memoir, my old boss at NBC Sports, uh, from Saturday night to Sunday night. And he makes a point in there. You know, Rune Arledge told him in the in the early 70s, the most important thing was about production was bring the audience closer, you know, get the audio right, new camera angles. It was all about the audience and, of course, storytelling. And Dick makes the point in the book that that is true today. We may be streaming. There may be tech companies involved. But that essential element of uh, bring the audience, bring the fan closer and tell stories, uh, it really is true today. Would you would you agree with that? Absolutely. And I think we we saw that, you know, going back to to uh, Monica's question about the pandemic, we really saw that come to the forefront right during the pandemic with, for example, the last dance documentary. Right. It wasn't you know, people, you know, if you're old enough, you remember watching that series and you remember watching Michael Jordan and the Bulls. But it was really the story behind the story, the characters and and the um, you know, the the behind the scenes piece and the storylines that are and the characters that are generated off of that, that often are are providing value here. And, and we're seeing it in sports, right? There's only so many games per season and every league is trying to be a 24 seven, 365 property in our market. And so whether it's things like hard knocks uh, or the in season hard knocks now with, with the NFL, right? As a, a prime example of that. They're really trying to be a, a year-round property, and, and that requires storytelling beyond what's going on uh, within the white lines. Well, William, this is great stuff. We hope to have you back again here on Mike Drop Dallas. So thanks for uh, for joining us. Yeah, thanks so much, guys. You guys have a great day. Thank you. And on behalf of Monica Paul and the Dallas Sports Commission, thanks to William for joining us. And our other guests, Jason Robertson of the Dallas Stars and Brian Llewellyn of Fair Park First. Thanks to the Mike Drop production team, Icy Strain, Marcus Carr, and Reeves Eddins of Tony Fay PR. Thanks to Ren over at Vocal Media, our showrunner, Tony Fay. Until next time, thanks for listening and watching, everybody. <laughs>